Coming up on this episode of the RunningRestaurants.com podcast, I speak with Carl Orsborn, COO at Juicer and co-author of Delivering the Digital Restaurant. In addition to the book, we talk about dynamic pricing and a variety of other restaurant marketing tips and tidbits. Stay tuned. Hey folks, Jamie here from RunningRestaurants.com. As you know, there are a lot of elements to consider when growing a restaurant. It can be overwhelming and that's why I recommend that restaurants check out Pop Menu. Pop Menu has restaurant technology designed to make growing your restaurant easy. Attract more guests to your website, stay top of mind and drive new and repeat business. Make your systems work better together and conquer the chaos of your restaurant's digital presence. Pop Menu is technology for restaurants that are ready to grow. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com running. Now go and get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com running. All right. Hey, folks, it's Jamie from runningrestaurants.com, where we bring you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to make your restaurant more profitable and successful. Uh, we got a great episode for you today. Got Carl Osborne, COO at Juicer, also the co-author of Delivering the Digital Restaurant. Welcome, Carl. Tell me about the book. I always, I always want to learn about books because I feel like writing a book is an undertaking that is well worth hearing about. So <laughs> tell me about that. What do you got? Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me on, first of all. Really pleased to be able to um, meet, meet you and your listeners through today's podcast. Um, the book, well, uh, let me tell you, the uh, writing a book is no short, um, short ordeal. It's certainly okay. something that uh, took a, a lot of time, but in many ways, it was needed. Um, my background has largely come from being in C-stores. I ran a C-store chain of a thousand sites and I was then moved into more of the startup space at the ghost kitchen company, Kitchen United. And it was there where I met pretty much every big restaurant group, um, a lot of independents, all struggling with digital disruption. Everything that's happening with regards to digitization and our industry. And, you know, it, it, I was speaking to a lot of folks that were thinking about ghost kitchen. So they were mm -hmm. quite forward in their thinking around the innovation that came from that. But still, there was a begrudging reluctance to throw yourself in fully to the off-premise channel. And I think when I reflect back on that particular moment, which of course was all pre-pandemic, my co-author and I said to each other, look, it'd be great if we could get a book to give to our clients or our prospects to help them understand why this thing is so exciting. And we went, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's, let's go on Amazon, look for such a book. And Jamie, no such book existed, right? So right. after we left Kitchen United, uh, we came up with the idea of the book, uh, which was to try and tell the story as to why digitization is so important, why the off-premise channel is something that's going to be a material add to the restaurant industry, even though it adds some friction into the way in which uh, restaurants run today. And of course, as we all started to write the book, the pandemic happened. And I tell you one thing, Jamie, if ever there's another pandemic, write a book, because if you have writer's block, you can't go anywhere. You just got to keep going. Right? So it was a it was a really interesting experience. Right. We we interviewed over 100 different executives and technology companies, okay. restaurants. Yeah, um, we I tried to tell the story as to why this is something to be excited about. And, you know, the book has become a bestseller in the U.S. and a number of other countries. It's we've just re spoken to the Romanian Restaurant Association that are going to get it translated into Romanian. Which oh, man. Okay. Um, and we've got another book coming out. It's it's uh, called The Path to Digital Maturity. comes out uh, later this month. And it's going to be something which really explores more about the how of to think and you know, how to digitize your restaurant. Because now that we're out of the pandemic, we're in a place where 
the 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 restaurant executive is having to think about okay i i had to do what i had to do to survive through the pandemic and a lot of the decisions and, and choices that were made meant they've now got a very convoluted tech stack and that tech stack is cumbersome mm. and it's perhaps not being optimally used and of course we're in tough times as well potentially a recessionary environment pretty soon and so if you take that into account then you've also got the idea of well how can i actually streamline the choices i'm making around technology and so this book is more about finding your spot on the path to digital maturity it's got a bunch of um, how-to tips a worksheet at the back of each chapter and it's really helping i think restaurateurs find their spot and find what they need to do to progress their own maturity in this space and there will be certain points where they say you know what i'm done here i don't want to go any further down this particular path but uh, we go all the way down to uh, something which we say is the new restaurant category, the digital, the digital mm -hmm. restaurant. And yeah. we, uh, we also talk about what technology companies need to do as well. So it's been great. You know, writing a book is fascinating. It's enabled me to get um, onto a, a number of different uh, areas where I've been able to speak about this, both in conferences here and abroad. And it also led to, to Juicer as well, which I can mm -hmm. talk more about too. Yeah, I want to hear more about that. I, I I wrote I wrote down a bunch of things as as you were talking there. Definitely, the digital disruption was the key point that I wrote. I, I, restaurants they felt it coming for years, right? I mean, uh, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that, and there's a resistance in restaurants. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, and anything restaurateurs don't know. Um, I think no matter what, no matter what mindset you come from, it's confusing because there's so many companies now that can offer offer solutions. So I can see restaurants going, whoa, whoa, overwhelming. Um, so what, and the pandemic changed everything. First of all, as, as, as you already know, there was a panic. We, we got to get into all the digital um, stuff, um, online ordering, delivery, curbside, et cetera. And so let's, let's for a few, for a few more minutes, talk about that aspect. People weren't prepared for it. They made some quick changes. What was the most impactful quick changes you, you saw restaurants make uh, two, three years ago to get, to get them up to speed. Yeah. Well, every, every restaurant for all intents and purposes became a ghost kitchen, right? Mm -hmm. Because they weren't servicing their, their kind of on-premise guests. Um, and so restaurants had to make a, a very clear decision. They either had to shut themselves down and, and sadly a hundred thousand restaurants through the pandemic did close their doors forever. Um, but you, here's another stat for you. Before the pandemic, the U.S. was second only to Japan in restaurants per capita. Mm. So you could argue that it was already oversaturated with restaurants and choices for, for guests, which, of course, only adds to the competitive intensity for an already very difficult business model. So in that sense, we're coming out of the pandemic, perhaps in an even better environment than before. But I think the, the answer to your question would be they got themselves online. Right. So they got themselves on the third party marketplaces. Now, these third party marketplaces, I think, um, often will get a bad rap. And there's a there's good reason for that bad rap. But similarly, I can assure you that without them, there'd be far more than the hundred thousand or so restaurants that will close their doors, because without those third party marketplaces, many restaurants would never have been able to continue. Um, and so part of the the trick in this is then understanding it's not just about being on them you have to also optimize your presence on them yeah and that could go from anything as simple as really good consistent photography through to understanding that yes you do have to advertise on these platforms to be able to stand out for all intents and purposes a doordash or uber eats these days 
is like one of those 600 page yellow pages books right and if how are you going to find a restaurant in that kind of you know mixture you have to be able to find a way to be able to stand out and you know one of the tips that we have in the new book the path to digital maturity is that even by spending just three to five dollars a week and maintaining presence on spend for advertising your presence on a, a third-party marketplace will teach the algorithm to continue to recognize that your restaurant is higher than someone that isn't and even if you take yourself off for a week it's teaching the algorithm the other way as well so there are little bits and pieces that I think over the last few years, restaurants have perfected that understanding of how to optimize their presence. And now we're getting into more of the debate around customer data. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I think a British economist of about 20 years ago said that the, the new oil is data. Uh, and yeah. he's, he's right, right? Because customer data is one of the things that often gets left in the background of this discussion. Everyone always wants to talk about the, the razor thin profit margins you get through a third party, um, third party transaction, but you're also not necessarily getting that customer data. And so really making sure you've got a direct channel, a channel where customers can actually understand more about you and your brand, where you can understand more about them and can perfect the offers that they are going to be put in front of them. That, I think, is going to be the next big focus area, certainly for the next few years, even, even from this point. And the trick there is then creating both a frictionless ex customer experience. Mm. What I mean by that is the amount of steps it takes from a customer coming onto your platform to the point when they check out. And how many steps is that relative to what it takes for them to do exactly the same on a third-party marketplace? A frictionless experience. And then an ability for the restaurant to convert customers that perhaps have discovered your restaurant for the first time through a DoorDash, but now want to find out about, well, how can I develop that relationship with you? And you have to be able to find mechanisms like, um, you know, give, it a, give a free entree away or give, give them something which might even be a loss leader for you and your restaurant for that next transaction, but only if they purchase through you and your direct channel. Those two things, third-party optimization and developing a third-party mm -hmm. frictionless channel with a great conversion approach, those, I think, are the two areas that we cover in the first two chapters of my new book, but also, I think, are probably the areas that need most attention for restaurants up and down the country today. Yeah, I I will echo the frictionless part as uh, as a dad with three kids. We happen to eat out often, so and we're on the move. So the phone becomes both a search device and a lot of times the ordering device uh, for, you know, for fast casual and so forth. And some folks do it dramatically better than others. And that whole aspect of once, uh, once I, once I'm in the app, I ordered this recently, it's probably what I'm going to order again, bing, bang, boom in the cart. I'm out. I mean, things like that make a big difference versus going through pages and pages and redoing it every time. I mean, there, there, there's a lot to be said for the experience that the user has and that that cannot be let down and in that same vein i want to go i want to use optimize in a different way because on the phone and on mobile there's ways to optimize the experience to one make it easier but two to sell more have in your travels talking with the book how, how are people using it to to sell more and make recommendations learn from customer data that you already talked on any kind of good tips to share there yes i i think so i mean look the way I would, I would express this, and you came back, let's come back to that comment earlier about why are restaurant owners so reluctant about digitization, especially delivery? Mm. Well, they're reluctant because they're not usually technologists, right? They love food. They love hospitality. They love seeing the smiles on their customers' faces when they're dining inside their restaurant. That's what drew them into this, this line of work. 
and delivery doesn't get them anything to know about who their customer is. They don't get to see the smiles and they are also getting a, an experience which is perhaps you know, less from a profit margin than what they'd get from an on-premise. So you can understand that reluctance. Mm-hmm. But let me position it like this for you. Your very best server experience that you've ever had where someone has remembered you, Jamie, and, and your kids that come in, and they remember that the kids have a food allergy here or that they uh, love this particular type of um, uh, wine that you you and your, your partner might enjoy. And so in that sense, when you remember those things, it's a very exciting opportunity for that server to be able to then give that experience on the second or third showing. When they do that on the second or third showing, when a customer comes in again and they remember, they make them feel like that customer is the most important customer in the entirety of um, their, their experiences. So with that in mind, what I would suggest is, I'm, I'm just going to pause here because I think you have disappeared. Uh, let me just pause. Oh, I was just bringing, I was just making you front and center. Oh, I I'm saw here. you. Yeah, we're fancy. We're, Jamie. we're producing on the fly. Ah, Okay, so, sorry, you completely disappeared. So it said I'm the only one in the show, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, boy. no, 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 no." <laughs> we're 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 rolling. I, I just I'm just being fancy in the background. So right. so keep, so let keep me, talking. Me I'll I'll keep come talking back, about that. I'll, I'll come back to that again. So so imagine imagine you're uh, having a great experience where the server remembers what your kids ordered last time, or that what you and your wife uh, your favorite wine is. Those little moments are the things that create our best experiences in restaurants because they make you feel special. Now. That's great, but the best server isn't there on every shift. And you might not always have the best server working in your team across every single one of your restaurant locations. Hmm. But with customer data, with customer data, you can make that experience happen each and every time. And I think that is the piece that is is so excited about. If you use customer data correctly, how can you indeed make that happen? So what do I mean by that? Well, think about the best e-commerce company out there today, Amazon. Now, Jamie, sure. your, your homepage on Amazon is completely different to my homepage, right? So even where you're now starting to see on Amazon recommended for you or buy buy this again, that will be the future of a digital menu where they recognize that I might be um, gluten intolerant. And so why put any items on my menu in front of me which have gluten in it? Makes no sense at all, does it? If I'm there ordering. That's right. So, so it's things like that, which again, you can differentiate on a digital platform. Now, are some restaurants starting to do this? Well, they are in a, in a way. I mean, Taco Bell, for example, has the, the veggie mode on their kiosk on-premise where you can actually press a little button and suddenly all you see are menu items which just have veg, vegetarian-friendly items. And I think okay. those are different things that can happen when you can use customer data. Um, but if you can use it to create a one-to-one relationship, that is the journey we're on. We're, we're on a journey now where we're actually going to be able to get to a place where customers actually feel like they're getting an Amazon type experience. We're not there yet, but we're heading there. Well, I'll just digress for a second. My, my Amazon page loves me because I swear to God, we're VIPs and we order everything under, under the sun from, from those people. But uh, yeah, I, they, they, they are the, the classic example of who does it well. I mean, suggest one thing. Yeah, you like this. You might like that. Uh, you come back. You've just looked at you may be interested in. I mean, those are the things that 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 encourage sales. So absolutely, everybody can obviously learn from them uh, uh, without uh, with, without fail. So let's 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 go to Juicer for a little bit, and we can ping pong back and forth to other stuff. But uh, let's talk about um, what what you guys do there. 
I'm very curious to hear that because that, that's that's taking tech in a different direction as well. What you got? Yes. Well, my, my co-founders have all come from another industry, uh, hospitality, travel. And mm -hmm. in many ways, Jamie, when you think about technology disruption, well, hotels and airlines have been through a digital disruption themselves, right? It just happens yeah. to be a number of years earlier. And so uh, my, my co-founders, uh, Drew Patterson and Ashwin Kamlani, they're, they're both from the hotel and Drew was the previous uh, CEO of Jet Setter and he was the founding CMO, I believe, at uh, Kayak. He, he's seen this thing before. And he, he spoke to Ashwin, our CEO, and he said, look, this, this thing that's happening in restaurants right now is pretty interesting, isn't it? Because when you, when you see what they're going through with these marketplaces and the pressures it's very similar to what Expedia were doing and what Kayak were doing back in the day. And so with that in mind, why don't we think about what happens in our industry and see that that's probably going to come our direction as well in, in, um, in, for restaurants? And so in that regard, he said, well, what's, what's the next thing? And the, the two of them just said, well, pricing. You know, when you've got this ability to take dynamic pricing in, in the same way as we saw it in hotels and airlines, then why couldn't this happen for restaurants too? And so they reached out to me, um, when was it December time? They just re read the book and we were having a chat about it. And I said, look, this makes so much sense because much like we were just talking about with the customer experience, prices also give you an opportunity to actually help restaurants. And it also helps you help the guest experience too. You might go, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I wrote an article for Nations Restaurant News in June of 2022 with, with Meredith about the idea of throttling and how throttling is bad for restaurants. Now, for your, for your listeners that perhaps don't know what throttling is, it's where you actually turn off your digital gateway for orders. You turn off your marketplaces or you turn off your direct channel because your kitchen is too busy. It's a busy Friday right. night and you're focused on your on-premise customers. And I advocate in that particular article to say, look, this doesn't make any sense at all. You would never shut your doors on a busy Friday night to your on-premise guests. Why on earth are you doing it to your digital guests that might be discovering your brand for the very first time? And so dynamic pricing is something that can help with this. So by raising the prices, maybe just by 50 cents, 60 mm -hmm. cents on an item, you might quell some of that demand a little bit and therefore really only get the customers that really want to order from you but actually reduce down the demand a little bit in those time periods, but also maximize the profitability as where, wherever possible. Similarly, on a Monday at 3 p.m., when, or maybe it's slightly earlier in the afternoon when a couple are thinking about, well, what should we have for the family dinner tonight? If they are incentivized to order ahead at a price that is slightly cheaper, and again, perhaps through a first-party channel, maybe dynamic pricing can also then drive volume on the shoulder periods of key the key demand periods. So what, what Juicer is doing is we're bringing a data-driven approach to pricing. We take a year's worth of uh, restaurants POS data. We put that through our data scientist team and the algorithms that we have to be, be able to recommend price changes based off the elasticity determined by each and every product on the menu. And there are some products that are very elastic, very responsive to price changes, and there are others that are not. And in a very controlled manner, we actually then use that to make price changes on the menu for off-premise channels. And what we've been able to find, at least on our trials, because the company's only been up and running for about a year now, what we found so far is results of anywhere between 3 to 6% improvement on bottom line off-premise channels, which is huge when you think about what 
yes. margins they are already today. So we're really excited about it. Um, we, we There's a long journey ahead. Um, the product roadmap, for example, is going to start to incorporate things like weather. When it's a rainy day outside, does that have an effect on what your prices should be? So it certainly might affect your demand across different channels. What about when the big event is on? We got um, That's right. Super Bowl, yeah. Those types of things. How, how should that change your, your pricing? Uh, what about when uh, you factor in cost of product? That when your suppliers are increasing prices on certain items, how should that change things? What about uh, the delivery time? Is a customer willing to pay a little bit more if you can get something out of the door five minutes earlier than another location? All of these different pieces, as well as competitor pricing, are great ways of being able to determine the most optimal price point. And you know, when you think about how restaurants determine prices today, they're using blunt instruments. You know, it's it's not a fine art today. And so we're trying to help restaurants price more effectively and ultimately create a situation where their restaurant doors are open both for on-premise and off-premise and create a guest right. experience that's better. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting space that you're in and 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 it's and we're at the beginning of it. But it absolutely already happens in in a lot of other places. And you you talked about it, hotels and airlines. You pay dramatically different prices for the same hotel room for reasons we never know as as the customer. Um, same thing, same thing, same thing for the airlines and of course the landscapers here and doing stuff. But um, uh, that 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 you never know you never know what that person is paying for that seat next to you, right? In the airplane, sure. could be twice as much. Um, for the same seat, same thing in the hotel room. They could be paying $50 less, $50 more. We've accepted it as consumers. You would think it should be fair. You should think everyone should pay the price. It does not happen in those industries. It does not happen with tickets for events, for football games, for concerts. People pay dramatically different prices for the same experience. And then they pay dramatically more in, in, um, in the StubHub secondary marketplaces yes. for the same experiences. And so in, in those instances, the the uh, like the artist is not always able to capitalize on that. Meanwhile, a middleman capitalizes on that. Now, you, you guys are I'm, I'm just talking off offhand because stuff you already know. But restaurants, how can you capture the full dollars that are available? Some people are completely uh, flexible to pay more on a Friday night for a special celebration mm -hmm. at a at this restaurant that they want that they want to spend. So. You don't always have to charge the same rate. And I'll give you a super basic example of this. We're, we're, we're out, I was out your way in California last, last week and uh, we were new restaurants. So we walk up to one place and the menu board is lunch prices, dinner prices. Same exact thing, $16.95 at lunch, $19.95 at dinner. Well, I know that that's not an uncommon thing, but it's also like, hey, it's the same thing. I'm just coming later. And you're charging me more because it's dinner. So it's not it's not a completely new idea that prices are different at, at a different time. But but to be dynamic on a phone where the price is never really set or on mobile or like all the stuff you're talking about. And I, I want you to elaborate more because you know more much more about it. But the price can just come onto the phone and I could say, oh, shoot, I, I paid seven ninety five last week for my hamburger, but it's ten ninety five today. But shoot, I'm hungry. Boom. A so well, I'll let you go because I, 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 yeah, I, I mean, look, some I, background on my side. I, I think um, that example of lunch and dinner prices is a great one. I would say happy hour is probably the most obvious mm -hmm. dynamic pricing moment, right? Where you actually have prices low during a particularly low demand period, uh, but also a great opportunity to grow the average trade value because people will buy more. Um, one thing I will correct uh, just on our thinking around it is that we don't anticipate 
such sizable shifts that you might see in a hotel or an airline ticket. We don't see uh, the equivalent of Uber surge pricing being the right thing to do for restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, because typically, when you're ordering a hotel room, you're doing it a few weeks ahead, a few months ahead. And so therefore, you've got some time about you to make the right choice. But similarly, there's a limited amount mm -hmm. of supply at times. When you're on uh, your phone and you're on DoorDash, you're a few clicks away with your thumb from an alternative. And that, I think, is probably the reason why having too dramatic a swing in price is going to be something that would negatively impact the guest experience. And we're very, very purposeful about not impacting the guest experience, almost to the point where we would say, when we've monitored guest sentiment ratings across those that we've been doing this with so far, we haven't seen any reference to price, any reference to value come up in review data or anything attributed to, to ratings. And, and that therefore means that the ranges we're operated in, and, and when we work with a restaurant, we ask them, what's the range that you'd like us to work within? What are the guardrails here? And some will say, well, I, want, I don't want you to go any less than negative 10%, and I don't want you to go any more than 15%. And that's absolutely fine. And that, that, that allows the algorithm to work within those boundaries. And it also protects the restaurant's brand. Because what we don't want a situation of is that a customer being lost for good. We want to make sure this customer gets a great experience across um, the, the time that they're there in, in front of that particular restaurant. And one of the ways we do that when we're doing trials is that we focus in on one category first. We focus on, on that one category. So that way, even at maybe a 10, 12% price increase, the customer is feeling like they're seeing an abusive price point. They can category switch to another category and, and still get something from that restaurant. We're not seeing that in the evidence so far, but we're, we're basically making sure that we are very, very mindful of protecting the customer experience through, through all of this. And I think it's because of the plentiful amount of restaurant choices that someone has, especially in the digital environment, that you're not going to see surge pricing become a prevalent force, at least for restaurants. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting point. Uh, yeah, you can't, you definitely can't go dramatic, dramatic swings of uh, double prices and so forth. But there's definitely that flexibility where where the customer is again willing to pay both up and down. Definitely, definitely what the, the region you talked about, and perhaps even more in some cases for sure. So, very interesting stuff. I I want to I want to um I want to stay in touch. I want to bring you back because I want to talk more about this stuff. Anything as we close that we didn't touch on that you want to touch on that you want to send them to to find the book, send them to the website. Sure. Well, let, I mean, please ch check out, uh, I'll give you both websites. Uh, the book is deliveringthedigitalrestaurant.com. Uh, if you head there, you'll be able to see not only uh, uh, the, the blog that Meredith and I put out, we have a, a podcast of our own, Jamie, called, uh, it's now, it's been renamed The Digital Restaurant, but it's better known as The Monday Minute, yep. where we spend 10, 12 minutes every couple of weeks talking about the top headlines affecting restaurants off-premise and technology that we think the average restaurateur will find of interest and will help them on their journey. At the same location, it's your direct channel, if you will, to be able to get both copies of the book. We've got a special combo promo right now where the original book and the new one that's out later this month can be uh, bought for $30. So go to deliveringthedigitalrestaurant.com to get that. Um, if you'd like to learn more about dynamic pricing and what we're doing at Juicer, then head to, head to juicerpricing.com. There you'll find um, myself and Ashwin, our CEO, talk about the themes of dynamic pricing, why we're doing what we're doing, the approach. And you'll find also when you connect with us on LinkedIn, we're very, very transparent about the journey we're on in building a business. So anyone that, that's building a business, I think, will find it interesting because we're talking about the challenges that come up on that journey. And I think it's kind of refreshing to have 
uh, startup entrepreneurs being as transparent and vulnerable, if you will. Um, and it's it's a good it's a good way, I think. We've had a lot of exciting feedback from folks that are in a similar position. So I'd love to encourage folks to check out uh, juicerpricing.com and, of course, reach out to me on LinkedIn if you'd like to learn more. Good. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. You're, where the space that you're in is one, very exciting, but two, I'm, I'm sure it's fast paced and it's changing and you're, you're, you're climbing, then you hit a wall and then you got to pivot and, and make some changes. So it's interesting, interesting to see that journey. So yeah, folks, I mean, definitely check out uh, delivering the digital, or I'm going to make sure I'm, I got to write delivering the digital restaurant.com. Absolutely get that book uh, to get into some of the tips they're talking about. And then juicerpricing.com. Perfect. Carl Orsborn, CEO of Juicer and author of Delivering the Digital Restaurant. Thank you for being with me. Folks, stay tuned to us here at runningrestaurants.com for more uh, operations tip, marketing, service, and more. We'll see you next time. Thanks much.